Welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I, your rabbi, reveal how the world really works. The only show that is intended not for crooks and creeps and clowns and cranks, but a show that is intended for the unique and noble happy warrior. And I want to take you back about 411 years to the year 1611 when William Shakespeare, uh, by the way, uh, a writer that if you spend $50,000 a year sending your child to be educated at an American university, your child will no doubt never, ever hear of William Shakespeare. But uh, for those of us who had the privilege of never attending an American university or uh, attended university perhaps somewhere else, uh, William Shakespeare, 1611, writes an extraordinary play called Macbeth. Now, you might say, well, who says it's extraordinary? You, Rabbi Lappin, are just being a pretentious, narcissistic fob. What's so special about William Shakespeare? Well, let's take a look at just a little glimpse into how he reveals a deep understanding of human nature that just resonates. You, you hear it and you say, my goodness, this old, white, dead European actually knew something. So, uh, without going through the whole play, Lady Macbeth is involved in some really bad stuff. Uh, she murders. And uh, she seems to have a fetish for washing her hands. Now, that part is, is readily understandable, right? I mean, uh, the, uh, the idea that somehow you've got to clean yourself. Yeah, look, uh, no zebras ever feel a need to expunge a problem, right? No cows, cats, camels, or kangaroos ever get ulcers worrying about whether they are good and upright, decent camels and cats and cows and kangaroos. Human beings are completely unique, and uh, Adolf Hitler was well known to have the same washing hand syndrome. Uh, Lady Macbeth had it. But more than that, she seemed to be exhibiting um, really unbalanced kind of behavior. And so Macbeth is worried about her, and um, he says, How does your patient, doctor? Uh, they've called a doctor, and he wants the doctor to take care of Lady Macbeth. Uh, and, and she's obviously suffering from real problems, mental problems. And the doctor responds to Macbeth's inquiry by saying, Not so sick, my lord, as she is troubled with thick-coming fancies that keep her from her rest. So he says very clearly, look, she, she's not sick, but she's being troubled by um, mental images that, that come before her, yeah, exactly, uh, of her murders. And... Um, and he says she's, you know, she's being kept from her rest. Macbeth responds, Cure her of that. Canst thou not minister to a mind diseased? Pluck from the memory a rooted sorrow. Raise out the written troubles of the brain. And with some sweet oblivious antidote, cleanse the stuffed bosom of that perilous stuff 
which weighs upon the heart. Is that magnificent or not? Macbeth says, hey, I don't want to hear the details, just cure her. After all, you should be able to minister to a diseased mind, just like you do to a diseased body. Pluck from her memory, take out of her memory anything that's causing her sorrow. Um, uh, erase away any problems in her brain. And then what you need to do is give her some sort of antidote that'll make her feel good and, uh, and, and, and just fine. And the doctor responds and it says, Therein the patient must minister to himself. And uh, he, the, patient, the, the doctor says to Macbeth, Sorry, no can do. What you're asking is simply not possible. And, uh, and there we have the clash that I want to discuss with you today. This basic clash in that it was always understood that problems of the so-called problems of the mind, mental problems, were essentially spiritual at root. They were not caused by growths in the skin. They were not caused by diseases in an organ. They were, they're not even identifiably linked to any part of the brain that can be removed. No, this is a spiritual torment. And... It cannot be cured or solved as if it were just another bodily problem. That's what Shakespeare knew full well, and that's really how it was pretty much until, well, let's say 1962. Now, um, as you know, this podcast plays on YouTube and on Ghana, that is a a platform in India, and it's on iTunes, Apple iTunes, and Spotify, and Stitcher, and all over the place, Lip Sync, it's all over the place, and, uh, and you, you know, you listen to it on whatever platform works most conveniently for you, but somebody on uh, YouTube wrote recently, um, saying, why do you keep saying 1962, and the answer is that, uh, it's something I've discussed from time to time. I don't do it every time. It's, uh, I, just, I just want to save your time and steward it responsibly. But um, the reality is um, that any significant epochal changes can never be linked uh, clearly and flawlessly to any one moment in time, any month or day or date. You know, uh, the, uh, the terrorist attacks on the United States of America uh, were on September the 11th, 2001. That, that's clear. But, you know, at what point did uh, America start shifting its approach to mental health? Uh, very difficult to say exactly, but I say 1962 for reasons that I've discussed in the past in that uh, it's a convenient date uh, by which to identify the beginnings of truly significant social change in the United States of America. Um, so, uh, going forward, um, the uh, a, a remarkable Dr. Thomas Sass wrote in the February 1960 issue of The American Psychologist, um, a, uh, uh, an article called The Myth of Mental Illness. 
Well, the entire mental illness industry that we know of today hadn't even begun to be developed. And so it was kind of okay for him to write in the magazine, the February issue of the 1960 of the American Psychologist, the myth of mental illness. It's fine. But uh, today, of course, he would be um, badly trounced and cancelled, and well, you, you know the idea. So that was 1960. In 2000, and, uh, oh no, 1999 actually, um, here's something I found President Bill Clinton saying. Okay, this was 1999, then President Clinton, who you'll remember served from 1992 to 2000, uh, William Jefferson Clinton stated, mental illness can be accurately diagnosed, successfully treated, just as physical illness. Well, that's actually just another lie. Um, president Clinton had appointed the wife of the vice president, uh, Tipper Gore, uh, or the ex-wife of the vice president, uh, he had appointed her as the mental health advisor. Same year, she said, one of the most widely believed and most damaging myths is that mental illness is not a physical disease. Nothing could be further from the truth. Mental illness is a physical disease. The Surgeon General uh, for President Clinton at the time, David Satcher, he said, just as things go wrong with the heart and kidneys and liver, so things go wrong with the brain. And uh, then, eight years later, in 2007, uh, Joseph Biden, who was at that point still a senator, um, then he became vice president, and now, of course, he's president at the present time. Uh, this is what he said in 2007. Addiction is a neurobiological disease, not a lifestyle choice. And it's about time we started treating it as such. We must lead by example and change the names of our federal research institutes to accurately reflect this reality. By changing the way we talk about addiction, we change the way people think about addiction, both of which are critical steps in getting past the social stigma too often associated with the disease. And so... What we're watching from 1960 to, uh, to, uh, to 1999 and then uh, 2007 and then even more by 2008 when Congress passed a bill requiring insurance companies to provide people with mental illnesses the same access to affordable coverage as those with physical illnesses. There's only one little problem, and that is that when someone with a physical illness is cured, everybody knows. But uh, when do you decide that somebody with a spiritual illness or a mental illness is cured? Since they can hardly even decide when he or she has it in the first place, which is why the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of the Mental Health Profession, Volume of, uh, Version 5, is now the biggest that it's ever been. So what is happening? New mental illnesses being discovered? Uh, new illnesses being diagnosed? Well, one thing for sure is happening, and that is that the mental illness industry is uh, consuming an ever vaster proportion of the dollars available 
for health care in the United States of America. And so uh, Dr. Thomas says, just before the floodgates were opened and things really went crazy, he raised the question, you know, is there really such a thing as mental illness? And he concluded that no, there actually is not anything at all like mental illness, and uh, instead of which it is a fabrication based on the simple reality that, yes, uh, we do have things in our souls. Lady Macbeth really did have a deep disturbance in her soul. But the notion that she was mentally ill and could be cured of that with a tablet or with therapy, that, you see, is not how the world really works. Let's talk about family and finance for the moment, right? I'm, I'm assuming that uh, you hopefully are somebody deeply grateful for your marriage and for your family, or you're somebody who would maybe very much love to have a gloriously fulfilling marriage and a wonderfully loving family. Uh, maybe you're somebody who uh, thanks the Lord for their good fortune in having no financial worries. Or maybe you would very much like to get to that point. But in any event, for almost every one of us right now, family is important and having a successful, well-running, positive, fulfilling family life is important and finances are important. I don't think we have to beat around the bush too much on that. We can accept that. Well, here's the thing. I think you'll probably also agree with me if I say that for the successful running of family and for the smooth development and growth of your finances, um, the following three human attributes are really helpful. Courage, happiness, and optimism or confidence. Let's call it optimism for the moment. Courage, happiness, and optimism. Um, why is courage necessary? Well, if uh, you are a, uh, a spouse, right, there are times where uh, you probably should not share fears and, uh, and worries. There are times where, as a spouse, you have to step forward and you have to do something as if everything is okay. That takes courage. As a spouse and as a parent, you need to be a happy person. That's a requirement. Happiness doesn't come automatically. Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, I think we should be very clear. The world gives you no right to happiness. And I know I'm speaking to happy warriors here, so you all already know this. But for newcomers, for first-time visitors to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, I have sad and disturbing news for you. You have no right to happiness. You know, it's, it's just narcissistic and silly when people say, I have a right to be happy. No, you actually don't have any right to be happy. Uh, one of the logical ways of proving that, if you have any trouble with it, is that for every right, there must be a matching obligation. In other words, if I have a right to apple pie, then obviously somebody else must have the obligation to supply me with that apple pie. Otherwise, my right to it is utterly meaningless. So in other words, wherever you find a right, you have to be able to look for the obligation as well. 
And so if you think you've got a right to happiness, well, please take my hand and let's go searching for who it is that has an obligation to make you happy. No, that's not how it works. Um, happiness is your responsibility and it can only be obtained through hardship and effort and, and work. That's right. Happiness isn't easy and nobody else has an obligation to give it to you or to make you happy. And so uh, your marriage and your family life is hugely improved if, you are, if you've conquered this and you've made yourself a happy person. It goes without saying that on the financial side, finances grow by financial transactions, by human, by human economic interaction. That's how finance grows. And so you need to interact economically with more people. The thing is that most of us would rather interact with happy people than miserable people because, I mean, isn't life really too short to spend it with people who just beam out gobs of horrible misery and sadness and annoyance. They just feel obliged to tell you all their problems and everything that's wrong. No, things don't work well that way. People will avoid you and uh, having the opportunity to increase the number and the effectiveness of your economic transactions is really uh, very low. So yes, for both finances and family, you need happiness, uh, you need courage, right? There are times where a, a step must be taken in, in your financial life, whether it's an investment made or cutting a loss, where courage is needed. And so both your family and your financial life will be dramatically improved if you are able to develop your courage and your happiness and finally your optimism right a sense of optimism and confidence it goes without saying that uh, for people who, for men who are still single and wish to be married the ability to radiate a confidence is uh, hugely attractive for a woman you would like to attract hugely important and so um, yeah confidence uh, or optimism, I think of them as very similar. Happiness and courage are needed. Now let's think about what the absence of those things are. The absence of courage, cowardice, the absence of happiness is now called depression, and the absence of optimism or confidence is called anxiety. I want you to notice that if you don't have enough courage, and enough happiness and enough optimism, you are now mentally ill. You are suffering from depression and anxiety. That's not how it was for William Shakespeare, and it wasn't how it was for the uh, men and women who fought World War II, and it certainly wasn't for the men and women who fought the American Revolutionary War. No, that's not how it was. They took responsibility. And they said exactly what the doctor told Macbeth about his wife. It's up to her. She has to marshal the resources and draw on her strengths and make herself into a happy, courageous, and optimistic person. That's what she's got to do. 
But that is where we are today, my friends, where the perfectly natural and normal parts of living, right? There's not a single one of us who hasn't been fearful of, of something coming down the road. There's not a single one of us who hasn't, from time to time, been sunken in sadness. And there's not a single one of us who's felt pessimistic, hopeless, lacking in confidence. And I, I'm quite sure that you can think back easily to times when you have been in that situation. And I hope that as part of your retrospective, you're able to look back and remember how you pulled yourself together and you were able to recover your normative state of being a courageous, happy, optimistic person. But today, nobody gets an opportunity to do that. Nobody is invited to do that. They are invited to see a mental health professional, to help working on, work on your depression and your anxiety and your cowardice. Yeah, right. Except we don't call it cowardice anymore. It's just depression and anxiety. If you lack courage, happiness, and optimism, well, you are depressed and anxious, and you need a tablet. You've got to take a couple of tablets and a glass of water, and you'll feel a little better in the morning. Well, that's how the pattern currently works. And uh, I, your rabbi, want to say to you, look, uh, there's not anybody who hasn't felt a lack of courage. There isn't anybody who's never felt unhappy. There's nobody who at times feels pessimistic and lacking in confidence. And you pull yourself together. It's part of the greatness of being a human being. It's something you can do. And uh, admittedly, these are matters of the spirit. And so obviously, if you are spiritually sensitive, if you have the beginnings or maybe an advanced understanding of the spiritual reality or the reality of the spirit, if you are aware of your soul, then you are already miles ahead of everybody else in dealing with these things because these are all spiritual ailments. Feeling no courage, feeling fear, feeling unhappy, feeling pessimistic. These are spiritual. There's not a single place on your body to put a band-aid. There's not a single place to have an operation to have this problem removed. And no, uh, as a matter of fact, although we can conceal the symptom by means of psychotropic drugs, we're not curing it. The cure is always spiritual. And so I want you to think about this. And if you have been feeling any of these things, you know, pessimistic, frightened, unhappy, and people are telling you, you need to find a mental health professional, or, you know, you need to go to a therapist, or you need, you need to go to the emergency room and check yourself in. Please, I ask you to at least, first of all, explore the possibility that I may be telling you the truth. I may just possibly 
be saving you a lot of trouble and a lot of misery by helping you realize that what the doctor told Macbeth is exactly right in the Shakespeare play of the same name. Right? This is something that you can cure. This is something you can take care of all by yourself. The doctor said, therein the patient must minister to himself. And uh, yeah, look, it's, uh, it's not easy, but uh, life isn't meant to be easy. It's, it's meant to be a spiritual workout. And part of that is overcoming the tendency. And by the way, this is a tendency that is the default condition of every mammal that I know of. And that is uh, cowardice, not courage. Right? Animals will flee rather than fight. Unless there is uh, some kind of uh, outside circumstance, you know, the mama bear's got her cubs right there. She's not going to run away from you. Right? you. You're in big, big trouble. But ordinarily, uh, it is perfectly natural and perfectly normal in the animal world for animals to, be, uh, to lack courage. Happiness is not a term, happiness or unhappiness is not a term that makes any sense. I'm, I, I'm so sorry for the, the background noise. Uh, I am preparing this show for you um, in the wilds of New Jersey, um, just outside New York City, uh, where I was working this morning. And I got to tell you, my goodness, what a dystopian, apocalyptic landscape that place is. And uh, I, I should have known that any hope I had of being able to talk with you while sitting outside um, would be interfered with by the sirens of the numerous emergency vehicles, one after the other. As it is, I uh, have already removed a few instances of, of that kind of noise and sound. But um, at any rate, I apologize to you for the, the lowered uh, audio quality and uh, production values. <laughs> Just listen to, listen to this. It's insane. Um, people live like this. Yeah. Since 1962, by the way. Wasn't like this before. And um, animals, as I was saying, do not have issues of happiness because... A cow in a meadow on a nice day is content, not happy. Right? I can be very discontent, but very happy. Uh, but a cow only understands contentment. Um, okay, well, that's a different sort of noise. And uh, animals do not have questions of confidence or optimism. It's really important to understand the difference between people and animals. These are some of the differences between people and animals that we can defy our natural mammalian tendency to cowardice and we can draw forth from ourselves deep reserves of courage. We can defeat our default mammalian condition of just you know, being miserable, just, oh, oh, well, you know, if seeing everything that's wrong with life and every time somebody talks to you, you tell them what's wrong and you just exude misery. But I have the ability as a human being to defeat that and to draw on deep reserves of strength in myself and make myself feel happiness. And similarly, 
I could, like any animal, yield to my mammalian tendencies and defaults of feeling fearful and pessimistic and, and hopeless about the future, uh, but instead I can draw on those reserves and summon forth powerful optimism and confidence. And the reason that I want to leave it over here is not only because of the ambient noise, no. The reason is because I don't want to confuse the issue with anything else. I believe this is so important for your family and for your finances, as well as for your friendships, and it also touches on your fitness. And if you want to know how, well, then you need to read the free uh, downloadable ebook on our website called The Holistic You, which explains how family and faith and finances and fitness and friendships uh, all interact with each other and all um, draw on each other and all add energy to each other. Uh, but for today, I just wanted to talk about family and finance, straightforward things that matter to each and every one of us. And I thought that maybe it's just possible that some happy warriors hadn't yet realized how important these spiritual strengths of courage, happiness, and optimism are for the successful execution of your plans for family and your financial lives. And so it's well worth seeing the link and knowing that everything you are trying to achieve family-wise, everything you're trying to achieve finance-wise, can be vastly enhanced, sped up, improved, made more effective if you get used to the idea that when you are feeling frightened, then fix it up. Don't take a tablet. Don't call a therapist. Don't go to the emergency room. Don't check yourself into a mental hospital. Just fix it up. Just do it. Uh, you're feeling unhappy. Stop it. That's not good for you or anyone else around you. Just fix it up. You've got the ability inside of you. You can do it. And you're lacking optimism. You're feeling pessimistic about things going on in your life. Stop it as well. Right? Just do it. Bring on the courage. Bring on the happiness. Bring on the optimism so that you can more effectively grow your finances and your family life. That is really the crux of it. In, in one sentence, that's what I want you to focus on. The website, rabbidaniellappin.com, where there is ample material on both family and finance. And uh, you will also find thought tools from the past and Susan's musings from the past, where I have provided tips and tools and techniques for growing your courage, for growing your happiness, and for growing your optimism as well. So hop over to rabbidaniellappin.com, and uh, if you haven't downloaded the ebook, The Holistic You, you want to do that. Uh, if you haven't caught up with uh, some of your reading of earlier thought tools, catch up with that. If you haven't yet joined our Happy Warrior community, what are you waiting for? Join us. I welcome you with open arms. 
because we all strengthen one another. So thank you all. Thanks to all of you who are helping to grow the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show by sending people a URL link or telling people about it. But whatever it is you're doing, it's really working and it's making me happy, optimistic, and yes, courageous as well. Thanks for being part of the show, everybody. Much appreciated. I wish you a week of great progress in your faith, your families, your finance, your friendships, and your fitness. Until next week, I hope back in the studio, I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless.